out there, welcome into the lead block. Happy Monday, everybody. I'm your host, Tyler Walters, alongside Matthew Anderson. Matthew, how you doing? Doing great, man. How about you? Good. We're getting there. We're, I, I mean, interesting weekend here in Columbia. Uh, a lot of, a lot of interesting tweets, analysis around South Carolina's game yesterday. Folk are not happy. Yeah, not at all. Uh, we'll we'll start we'll start at South Carolina yesterday. Um, Actually, I did want to say, like, there was some, there was one uh, huge upset, which I, I hated because it's a team I've been bragging on for a while now, Wisconsin, and they let me down. Completely. Uh, as Wisconsin is, does. Um, <laughs> I thought it would be next week at Ohio State. I thought they might get blown out by 50 and let me down that way. Yeah. But, no, they, they lost to Illinois. Uh, and then, I mean, other than that, LSU handled business. Um, Started off kind of slow, but they picked it up. Yeah, it did, and... and Bama Tennessee was actually fun for about two quarters, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not bad. So, and Jalen's out, uh, which, or went out. They're not Jalen. Tua. Tua. Uh, Jalen is fine. Um, he's still thrown for 8,000 yards a game. Uh, we'll, we'll go back to South Carolina. So, number nine Florida comes to Columbia yesterday um, in the rain, in the muck. It was disgusting out. Did you go to the game? Nah, I had tickets to it. I looked outside. And I, was, I did not want to have to, because I usually park. Can't say that. Uh, didn't want to have to walk too far from uh, my car in the rain, be miserable during the game, and walk back to the uh, car. So I decided to uh, watch it from the home. Yeah, and I, um, yeah, I went like Brendan, producer Brendan had a bunch of family in town yesterday. Yeah. So we had, uh, we did the tailgate thing, and I went to the game. Watch the stay for the whole game. Uh, student section or what? Yep, student section. Sat in the sat in the top of the student section, and it was miserable out. I was wearing a hoodie, over like a polo shirt and, and some khaki pants, and I was soaked when how was, I left. How was the energy? Uh, that's why I brought that up because for a rainy game, yeah, it there it was. I, I didn't expect it to be packed. Uh, with with the weather that South, we got yesterday in Columbia, and South Carolina fans showed out for for the most part. Um, most of the lower bowl on the west side was was filled, which is to be expected. And the same with the south end zone. I mean, most of those guys are in the south end zone at least. Gamecock season or Gamecock club members, um, and season ticket holders on the west side. So those seats were mostly filled. Um, upper decks were looking a little skim. Yeah, but I'm. I'm not gonna go sit in the upper deck in a in a rain game either. So you're just getting rained on, and it was just miserable because it was nonstop rain. It wasn't ever. It didn't ever get too heavy. Yeah. But you were just putting on layers of water on your. I mean, everyone was soaked. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, and it was loud. I gotta say, even though when the stadium thinned out a little, and after halftime, I think, um, kind of on all sides of the stadium, it was loud. Still, right. on third downs, it got really loud. Uh, so, I mean, even that stadium fills out, like, at 80,250 people. When you don't have 30,000 people in there, it looks empty, but there's still 50,000 people. Right. So, it's still going to be loud. Like, you know, 50,000 people, that's, I think, Hemingway at Ole Miss is, like, 60 capacity, and I'm pretty sure um, in Starfield, Mississippi State, it's, it's around... It's around 60, and Kentucky's the same way, and Vanderbilt's even a little less than that. 
So the crowd that was still there, even when South Carolina looks a little, williams Bryce looks a little empty, it's still a lot more than a lot of schools have around the country, especially, but around even around the SEC. So uh, I thought Gamecock fans were, were loud, and they were there, but Florida fans were, they always are. Yeah. But I feel like yesterday especially, we're here in the masses. Yeah, whenever I looked at the TV, whenever I was watching on TV, it seemed like there was a lot of blue, and I know some of that was because of, like, ponchos and Raincoats, yep. But it did seem like they definitely showed up to support their team with only one loss. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. They they showed up. They have a good team right now. Um, and I, that's not the toughest trip, you know, to make. I think if, as long as you stay. Uh, George has probably got the best travel ability as far yeah. as SEC school, just because you're, you're not too far. You can drive to Gainesville. You know, Columbia is a couple hours. Knoxville's a couple hours. Um, Nashville's not too bad. Kentucky's always the one that's worst. And Missouri is just not really doable for most <laughs> fans. Um right. Which which sucks for, uh, well, it sucks for Missouri too because then their fans don't don't. If we were a little closer, you know, in the SEC here with with Missouri, uh, I think you would see a lot more Missouri fans come out to more visiting schools. But they still have a pretty decent crowd. But Florida, like I said, they always travel well. They were they were packed yesterday. The whole east side, you know, was blue from the visiting section, which is right behind the band in the southeast corner. Uh, all the way up almost until the student section, um, which is ends, I think, at like the 10-yard line or something. Something like on that. On the north side, on the northeast corner. Um, About a five-hour drive, I just looked it up. Yeah, it, it's not too bad. It's doable. Yeah. So, uh, it, I mean, that's, that's – I mean, they just, they're a good fan base, uh, and they do support their team a lot, and they travel well. well let's dig into the game a little. We got, got that out of the way. And Florida fans were – I don't want to say quiet in the first half, in the in the first three quarters. Um, they sounded, you know, average. They were loud in the fourth quarter. <laughs> you know, it, and at one point it's kind of, it was a little embarrassing, I want to say, to look around Williams-Brice um, and Gamecock fans are just getting, it's great to be a Florida Gators chanted oh, in their gosh. face. And that's, you could hear that, you know, just from that southeast corner, that east side. Uh, the visiting side at, at Williams Bryce, um, yeah, that's that one. That one's got a sting, so that that's got to hurt the team a little. But we'll dig into the game a little. We, they look South Carolina. I'm saying looked good to above average in the first half, right? And Florida looked about the same, um, not to Florida's full potential. South Carolina was playing defensively you know, towards the top of some of their other games they played. And they weren't getting gutted yet, and they were making some plays, and but it never felt like we really had any real big plays happen that were just swung the game. I, there was an interception in the first half, I believe, that South Carolina got that they didn't score on. Right. So uh, that, like, not scoring on an interception – it hurts, you know, the, the that just hurts momentum, too. I think all the momentum you gain by getting an interception, if you don't go score at least a field goal. Yeah, points on the board are important. Yeah, uh, I think you hurt your, your own momentum there. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, yeah, I was looking at the score, like the scoring roundup. Uh, Florida had three in the first quarter. South Carolina had seven, and they switched in the second quarter. Florida had seven. Carolina had three. So defense not even allowing but one touchdown in the first half altogether. Yeah. 
It's big for the team. Also, I want to hint back at what you were talking about. You were saying that this Florida got loud towards the fourth quarter. They had 21 points in that fourth quarter. You know the strength and conditioning coach hates this because obviously there were some bad calls. But it's like usually you want you know in the fourth quarter it's like whenever we this is what we train all this is what we train all off season for and they uh, scored 21 points in that fourth quarter. Yeah, and that was the real moment in the game where uh, I mean Florida just they put it away. So they, they smelt blood in the water, and they gouged South Carolina. And they, they just they kept scoring there in the fourth quarter, and, and South Carolina couldn't do anything right. And when they did do something right, and Robinson got a pick uh, as Florida was going into the student section to score again yeah. on, on the north side of the, the stadium to score again in the fourth quarter, Robinson comes up with a huge pick to kind of swing momentum. And now, all right, you've given yourself a chance to win. And what was called holding was called on that play. Yeah. So, and it was just the officiating. You can't talk about this game and not do the officiating. But I'll say this before we kind of get into that: uh, blaming losing a game on officiating is never a good excuse. Yeah. Because if you were the better team, you find a way to win. You overcome every bit of odds there is to overcome, and you win. Yeah, most definitely. I, and that's always been my belief is that you can't, like, yeah, refs, refs can screw you over. but And just like the Saints last year when they got, I mean, no no team's ever been screwed over last year out of the Super Bowl like they were when they played the Rams and uh, down in New Orleans and just, I mean, the most blatant P.I. of all time just didn't get called. Um, and you you see that happen, but had the Rams or the, the Saints made one or two plays you know, in the first half or the third quarter or any time in the fourth quarter other than that drive, they they don't put themselves in that position. And I tend to always believe that there are so many opportunities to win a football game uh, that you can't blame officiating. And I heard something Will Muschamp said the other day that I kind of, I don't know if I completely agree with it. What he said? Uh, he said, you know, we tell our players all the time that they get, there's four to six plays that control the outcome of the game. You got to make sure on those four to six plays that y- you are the team that has the out- uh, that you are the team that controls the outcome of right. those plays. Um, and I agree with them to an extent on the basic level, but I also tend to think that you need to control the outcome on every single play of the football <laughs> game to win. So I, I mean, I'm not one of the people who think that only four to six plays are important uh, because a play is important, but if you make it important. So you can't saying that you don't control the outcome on four to six plays. And, you know, you might only give up six bad plays all day, but what if you give up six 80-yard touchdowns and the rest of the snaps you, you win, you dominate? So every single play matters. Right, right, right. <clears throat> and if you do your job on every single, plays, you, you, every single play, you limit the opportunities of the other team and you create opportunities for yourself. Um, and, and that was just, I, I don't know. What do you kind of think about that? I've heard this before. Dabo Sweeney talked about this after Clemson lost the 2015 National Championship. After the game, the following the next year, I think he gave him like six days off. And he got the team together at a team meeting. He put, called out Deshaun Watson. He showed four plays. He said this is these four plays were the begin or were the difference between winning and losing, and we didn't execute on these plays. So I think that's kind of where he's hitting at. It's like although, like you were saying, it is important to make sure every play you play like it's your last. But this gonna come down to four or five plays. So I think that's what he was hitting at there. But I can understand your perspective. Yeah, I mean, I get it. He, you're right on a you know, if you want to take take it to the, the most basic level. 
but also you can't put it in your team's head uh, that only four to five plays matter. Right. And I I don't know. And these guys probably understand that. I can't imagine them taking that the wrong way. But don't don't let yourself get lazy. And um, South Carolina has in their in their locker room or something. It, um, what is that quote that they have? Control your you know it's not control your own. I can't remember. I, I lost it earlier. But it was just it was like a quote that was the epitome of this game. That was oh leave no doubt. Yep. There you go. Leave no doubt. All over the facility, guys. All over the facility, and, and in the fourth quarter, which is awesome, by the way. Um, and this is the first game I've really been able to get to this year and and be there for the whole thing. I think I snuck into the Bama and Kentucky, but I was only able to be there for a little bit. Um, and you see in the start of the fourth quarter this video that South Carolina has. I'm sure you've seen it by now too. It's kind of this hype video for the team. And the crowd, and I mean, it's awesome. It's a great video. It, it certainly gets you pumped up. And I remember when they first put that in last year, I believe, yeah. it was insane. The crowd went nuts. Um, and the student section loves it too, which is really, if the student section is going and they are on your side, like it, the the rest of the people will fall in line. Yeah. Um, you're always going to have that home west side, but I really believe that the energy in every stadium feeds off of student sections uh, because there's you got to you have the most. Uh, I don't. How do I say this? The, the the most influential group of people that can be in a stadium are just blatantly a bunch ten thousand drunk twenty year olds. Yes. So they're they're going to be screaming louder than anyone else, and they're going to be standing up the whole game. And I I really believe that the the rest of the inter- stadium feeds off of that energy. So you do something like that, get them pumped up, get them ready to go. And in that video, it says like five times, "Leave no doubt." Leave no so doubt. if you leave no doubt. Re, uh, officiating doesn't control the football game that you just had. Um, but that being said, we'll get into some of the calls that they made that were a little so-so. Right before you get Where to you that, start? real quick, Go ahead. Um, with the whole leave no doubt thing, too, I know that Helensky hated this. One thing I noticed yesterday was there was a lot of like deep balls, especially the, it seems like it's always the shy Smith, wherever he's thrown the ball deep and it's just too far out. I saw him get a little bit frustrated there. I know I'm I'm sure they'll work on that connection and get that ready for Tennessee next week. But no, back to the fish ain't like you were saying. Yeah, um, yeah, no, we can we can stay on that. We can stick to that for just a second. That that because I that was one thing I wanted to bring up. Also, uh, disclaimer: I was telling Matthew before the show. I for some reason Google Docs decided to stop working for me today, and I can't lay out my show rundown in Microsoft Word like I want to. I, I like to keep my notes very organized, especially for something you know like this when I'm gonna be on a mic, and we're shooting from the hip, so we might re- might repeat a couple things, uh, might might just miss a point or two, and I'll be and I'll get home as soon as we end this, and I'll go, dang it, I wanted to say this. <laughs> if I had my notes, I would have said it. Anyway, uh, yeah, Helensky did miss some throws to. Shy, especially in the, there was like two or three in the first half, I felt like, yep. where he had him. And Shy's making great, you know, he's running good routes, and he's beating his guy when he's in man all the time. I mean, Shy's got incredible speed. Yeah. He's an incredible athlete. I mean, I believe he can – we've seen him do it. I mean, he can jump higher than – he. I, I feel fully when Shy Smith lines up on the line across from a guy, he knows that he is faster, stronger, and can jump higher than whoever is on him. Yeah. So – and I feel like – he would still have that thought if he was on, I don't know, who's the best DB in the NFL right now? 
Gilmore is up there. Yeah. If he was lined up against Stephon Gilmore, I still think that Shai Smith's the kind of player who has that confidence and carries it with him in the way he plays. Um, even though I'm not saying that Shai Smith is a better receiver than Stephon <laughs> That's that's too, No offense to Shai Smith. That's a really tall task. Right. But, yeah, he uh, and he makes incredible plays time and time again. We've seen it. But for him to just get overthrown or, you know, a route miscommunication looks like that happened once or twice where Holinsky just – it looked there was no one in the area, and that is, I mean, there were some of them. I couldn't tell if it was a bad throw, or if there was a miscommunication in the routes. Because um, when it's a really bad throw and no one's over there, and he throws it in the field, you know, you can normally tell to to a trained eye. You're like, all right, well, the receiver ran the wrong route, or the quarterback thought the receiver was running the wrong route. Right, right. So there there was some kind of miscommunication there, but there was one especially. Um, and I can't remember when a game it came. I believe it was the first half that it was Holinsky kind of threw one in no man's land, but there were receivers in the area that were close enough for it to not feel to me like it was a route miscommunication. We kind of overthrew Shy and uh, who was coming over the middle, I believe. And I can't maybe Edwards running an out route, um, and he just kind of threw it in a little bit of a no man's land. And I don't. And he looked very frustrated with himself, like it just got away from him. Yeah, that's one thing I noticed as well. And it, and especially with the quarterback position, it's so important that the rhythm is there. And so you can really get frustrated easily and it kind of throws off your game. So let's say you get two or three um, incompletions on deep passes for the rest, not for the rest of the game, but until you can get that rhythm going, it kind of messes you up. That's why a lot of times you'll see offensive coordinators don't like maybe have the quarterback throw some, what are those routes where it's like, Bubble like, screens, yeah, like screens, just stuff to get that uh, to get it back going, especially with the receivers, so that they get, both guys get their confidence back up. Yeah, um, and that's one thing we've seen a lot from Holinsky and the crew this year coming down from McClendon, um, and that's one thing we spoke about on this show back when South Carolina played Alabama. Yeah, uh, that it felt like in Missouri that it felt like they needed to get Holinsky to throw short balls to build confidence. Right, and while I still believe that is true. You can't have all screens, and you can't have all you know, three yard outs. And I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the passes they they did go downfield a couple times yesterday, as we noted, and, and some things were missed. But you have to throw those intermediate passes uh, to really move the ball downfield. And I feel like a lot of times South Carolina just isn't in a spot right now. I guess I don't know if they they don't look comfortable. Yeah, it doesn't look as natural. Like at this point in the season, I'm gonna compare it to another team. You watch like Ohio State, and especially, actually, the best the best examples would be LSU and Alabama. You watch with those quarterbacks, receivers. It looks like they've spent all summer together. It's like the timing is perfect. One of the best examples would be on the final play of that. Well, I think the last drive of that LSU Florida game. Wherever Burrow threw it, I'm I'm not sure if it was the chase or whichever one, but he threw it. It was like a almost like an X type of route, and, mm-hmm. then the, and he threw it, hit the receiver, like, right in motion, and it looks like those two have been working together all summer. Versus yeah. South Carolina, it looks like we're still trying to figure this thing out, and it's almost November, so it's kind of late in the ballgame for that. Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't be trying to figure out, you know, uh, communication between your wide receiver and quarterback, and like you just said, in October 20th. You yeah. Know, you're deep in the heart of SEC schedule. Um, you're... Three and three coming into this game, trying you, you still have an opportunity to make a splash, and somehow you know Somewhere. some with the 
because South Carolina's losses have been very bad games. Yeah. Um, other with exception of Bama, they they played all right. Uh, you can only expect so much. And I don't think anybody was saying this team was going to beat Alabama. No. Um, but you like you have a chance to prove something, but you're still trying to figure your offense out. And I don't. I mean, Fire Muschamp has been trending on Twitter since the end <laughs> of August. <laughs> I, I mean, I gotta say, McClendon's gotta his seat's gotta be getting warm, yeah, real warm. I was thinking about that, and it's always so funny because my guy Tory Gurley is big in the sports. Uh, you know, he's big in the sports communications broadcasting. Every single time after the game, where you go and watch his Instagram live, he's like, you know, Tory Gurley, former USC receiver, former NFL. Uh, NFL athlete, he goes, McClendon's play calling. Like, it is every single time, so that also gets kind of momentum going, like, yo, something's not right. Because if somebody's just watching the game, they're like, yo, something's not right. And then McClendon, and then you hear Gurley say, it's the offensive play call. He's like, yeah, that's it. So, his seat is getting hot. Yeah, I gotta agree with him a little. Uh, South Carolina's either seemed, um, I mean, they threw the ball 53, 47 times against Alabama, something, right around 50. Um, And then you... Take Charleston Southern out of the equation. I don't think anything that happened in that game you can count. It's an outlier. Um, yeah, and no offense to Charleston Southern, but they don't have the athletes that South Carolina has. Um, but you look at like just the conser- like it super conservative in UNC with a senior quarterback at that point, um, and Alabama. They open up the playbook a little bit, but too much. Like I just said, like 50, 50 passes or so, you don't, you don't, you're not going to win doing fifty passes in the SEC. Um, I mean, maybe if you're Oklahoma in the Big Twelve, that works. It, it's not going to work here in the SEC. And then you, it, it's felt conservative. Georgia, that defense won that game, no doubt. I mean, they controlled just kind of the momentum. I think, even though the d- defense did get gut punched in yards a good bit from Georgia. Um, and Kentucky, uh, South Carolina dominated on defense as well. So, and you saw a couple good plays from offense, but it feels very conservative at this point. And when they beat Georgia last weekend, no one's thinking about offensive play calling because of how good the defense was. And South Carolina was able to move the ball a little bit against Georgia, but it wasn't like they dominated, uh, especially on the on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but you watch this game this weekend and you're seeing, you know, just short passes and running the ball are the only two things that work. And you have to be able to have that intermediate passing and deep pass threat for it to work, which means you need to hit one of them fairly early in the game. So, um, the balance in the playbook, I don't, I don't think has really been there this year as far as, I think South Carolina has gotten more balance as far as pass to run. I don't feel like they're very balanced and the uh, short pass, intermediate, uh, deep deep ball. As, yeah. As far as those things working for them. That's what I was about to say. The effectiveness has been. And so I guess McClendon's kind of looking at his receivers and quarterbacks like, y'all, like we, we're calling them and they're open. It's like we have got to hit them. Especially, like you said, we're in the heat of the SEC competition, but these are the best athletes in the country. Yeah. So it's like, so when you get a chance on a 30, 40 yard pass, 30, 40 yard bomb, you have to collect, especially with Helensky being hurt a little bit part of the season. So it's like whenever he's healthy and he can throw the ball, it's like we got to make sure we make those completions. 
decisions. Yeah, and they have to do that. And then, I, I mean, I guess McClendon's feeling is, all right, well, we tried it. It didn't work. Let's just keep running and throwing short passes. And fans get frustrated with that. And, I mean, it's frustrating to watch a team that you know can compete uh, just feel like they aren't. They don't go for it the whole game because they miss one or two shots and then they just kind of shut down. I think McClendon's got to continue to open up the playbook and, and do different things. I mean, you see a very similar a lot of screen passes, and, and yeah, they they work. They've worked a little bit for South Carolina this year, but those screen passes they're good for confidence and it gets you a few yards here and there. And every now and then you'll break one open for ten, fifteen plus because. Edwards will get off of a guy, and you got you know a, two blocks from your receivers who are nearby, and you maybe get a good chunk of yards on that play. But I think over and over and over again, those screen passes are just that you can't you can't march down the field throwing screen passes. Right. And I think that's frustrating to watch for South Carolina fans and for you know people like Tory Gurley, who kind of see the talent on this team, and then see the play calling. Um, but. We'll get back. We will go to officiating now. Yeah, so, yeah. a lot of obviously controversy around this game, and I think the one that sticks out the most to me was uh, the Mukwamu hold getting <laughs> held thirty yards for forty plus yards. <laughs> I mean, that was nuts. That was just crazy. And I like who was was it? Piran that had that ran that had that ball. Then I'm not Florida hands in, sure. either way. Florida hands the ball off, and um. Or Florida gets a decent chunk of yards, and then you've got a guy just sprinting down the field, and Mukwamu's coming across the field to make the tackle, and it, it's not like it would have stopped him from a first down. Like, he had a first down. But 20 yards is a lot different than 75 yards and a Definitely. touchdown. And he had a very good chance of making a tackle, I think. He was keeping up. He would have been able to kept. I mean, he's a fast guy. And he's getting held by a Florida receiver just all the way down the field, jersey hand on the jersey, kind of going back and forth with him. And, yeah, Mokuama is still able to kind of run, but he can't break away because his jersey's getting tugged. Um, and I think the, the dumbest thing I saw this week was one of the ESPN rules of officials say that, yeah, when we look at holds, we look at it preventing you to be able to make a step on the ball carrier. And I think Mokuama was still able to – uh, make steps on the ball carrier, so that's not a hold, dude. What? Yeah. Did that... you see that? He can. Yeah, he's running, <laughs> but he's having to drag it, a two hundred pound weight behind him because this guy is holding on to his jersey and he can't move laterally. He can move up and down, right? But he needed to jet left towards the sideline to make this tackle, and he can't do it because he's getting just <laughs> tugged back the other way by his jersey, by his shoulder pad. Two things about this play kind of got at me. One of them was there was not even that many people around. So sometimes, you know, the fish was kind of like, well, there's a lot going on. It was literally uh, Israel and the, the receiver who was jacking him up the whole way down there. <laughs> All and 40 it, yards on the field. the crazy thing is the receiver was not, like, trying to hide it. It kind of oh, no. looks like he was bullied. Like, you ever see, like, the uh, kid being bullied in the hallway? It's like, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm bullying you, and you're going to watch this. And the, I'm, most of the time what the DB does there is they kind of just, like, kind of throw their hands up so they can see. But Israel was still trying to get to the play as he should because you don't play for uh, the penalty call. And yeah. I was like, what is really going on? Like, somebody, you would think that somebody would have called it in or something. The guy would have just looked to his right and saw it, but he let it play. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to note, like what you just said with Israel continuing to try to make the play. Like, yeah. He didn't give up on the play because he was being held at all, but the hold 
certainly <laughs> restricted him from making that play because he could have made that tackle. I mean, I watched it probably 15 times yesterday. He could have made that tackle at a reasonable, you know, yardage, and Florida would have been right on the edge of field goal range, but they certainly would have been in the end zone. Now that's giving that's that's saying for certain that he makes that tackle. We don't always know if he makes that tackle, but he definitely deserves a chance, you know, to not be held. <laughs> the opportunity. Um, and then there was the false start on a on a play before Florida got gutted South Carolina for another touchdown, um, a blatant false start. And I, the funniest thing about this was seeing ESPN analyst after ESPN analyst, the name in sports media. And, and college football, especially college football. No one covers college football like ESPN. I don't. The pro sports, ESPN, don't cover. It's really just Monday night, right? Yeah, it, I mean, they get one game and they get the NBA Finals right now. Or I mean, even though they're on ABC, it's still ESPN. Yeah. Um, and they don't control any baseball, Major League Baseball. They get one game a week out of a 162-game schedule <laughs> for 30 teams. Um, so you're getting, what? maybe 2% of a season, um, and none of the playoffs there. and uh, But college football, they own. Right. Fox is trying with the Big Ten and the Pac-12, um, but ESPN still has the rest of the Big Ten and Pac-12 games. I mean, no, Notably the ACC and SEC Network. Yeah, they, they have both that new ACC Network. This is the name in college football, and there is no other platform that covers it like ESPN does. And no one else can. No one's that big. Um, except for maybe Fox, but when they when their analysts are coming out and just blatantly saying that officials just screwed up time after time after time, how how are we not getting any comment from the SEC and that crew particularly on the blown calls that they had? And then it's crazy, like whenever you sit there and watch the game, you see how many referees are out there. It's like, and then I think, was it this game? Was this game another one I was watching where you had to, they're using the helmet cam and stuff like that to see, like, where their officials would be at. It's like, so how does nobody catch this? Like, or even if, let's say, you don't catch it, but somebody else sees it, that you know, they come together, you meet, then you turn overturn the call. But I don't know what was going on with that officiating crew. And then did you see, oh, my gosh, you got to love Muschamp. Uh, oh, that's what <laughs> I was about to get into. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, so let me set the scene. South Carolina's pretty much out of it now. <laughs> Um, Florida. I think Florida had just scored their third touchdown in the fourth quarter, and it was it was pretty much done. Um, and Muschamp comes off the sideline, <laughs> and he is letting a ref just have it. And and I didn't see it in the stadium. I was sitting in the 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 very top of the um, student section in the on like the home bench corner. So I had the away tunnel right under me, and I'm kind of looking down, like maybe a yard out of the white line. So, yeah, I had a decent angle if I look straight down. But there's just so many people there, it's hard to spot Muschamp wearing black while the team's wearing black jerseys. Um, so I didn't see it. But when the PA announcer said, Will Muschamp, or uh, what do you call it? Unsportsmanlike. Unsportsmanlike has been called on Coach Will Muschamp. The stadium erupted. It was electric. <laughs> I mean... Every South Carolina fan was screaming their heads off, just cheering for him. And, I mean, that that's the kind of, like, that's what you get. Will Musch, that's the kind of little spice he brings to the game, right? Right. Because when an official screws up, he's going to let them have it. Most and that's what you want. I mean, John Gruden, we watched uh, 
Hard Knocks, if you watch Hard Knocks this year, you see Gruden getting in multiple times. HBO showed that Gruden getting in officials' ears before games and stuff. I mean, that guy maybe a little much has a little hatred for <laughs> officials. I think. Uh, I mean, which is hilarious, and I, I love to watch it. But you, those are the things you want out of your football coach. It's like when a, an MLB um, or MLB manager gets tossed from a game for arguing strikes and balls because an umpire just screwed up a call, and, and he just, you know, it says let him have it. Fans tend to cheer for their uh, for their manager who's getting tossed. That's kind of a thank you for standing up for our guys. And I mean, it's a it was just crazy when that happened. And then from there, you go into Muschamp's press conference, and Josh Kendall from The Athletic was asking him about that particular call on, on him, uh, Muschamp. And he said the thing he was really pissed about, he said, I don't know what it, he said, do you know what you did? He said, no, I don't know. He said, the guy walked 40 yards away from me and then flew the, uh, threw the flag. He said, that's what I was really pissed about. If you're going to throw that flag on me, I about stand up to my face, drop it on my feet. He said like three times, I want you to drop that flag on my feet. And then he stops for a second, and you kind of hear the mic is getting passed around to the next reporter to ask a question. And he shakes his head and just kind of mumbles under his breath, gutless. Yeah, yeah. Gutless. I, that, that was my favorite part. The whole gutless thing. like, you ain't got no guts. It also reminds me of the Dabo Sweeney. Uh, whenever they, I think Clemson beat Notre Dame, we give, we give you scholarships, we give you blah, blah, blah. We can't give you guts. That was instantly what I thought. But obviously, uh, Mr. Muschamp comes from a different perspective here. I really think Muschamp was ready to go fight somebody. Yeah, I as he should have been. I love to see that. And it's interesting because I didn't even know about that part that he had walked 40. Because I was like, okay, maybe he threw it right then. But when I realized that he walked 40 yards and did, it's kind of misleading. Like, wait, at this point. Uh, Muschamp said he walked 40. I don't know if he walked 40. He probably, he probably walked, you know, 10, 15 <laughs> yards away from him and then threw it. Which... Do you blame the guy? <laughs> Muschamp might have killed him. Yeah, I know. That's what I was thinking about, too. I was like, if you drop it right there, he's already giving you plenty. If you drop it right there, it's like, what? Now? Like, really? I've noticed this with basketball players, uh, basketball coaches, too. It's like, once you drop that, they feel like, okay, now I have nothing to lose. Yeah, so absolutely. Like, okay, I'm really coming at you now. It's the same thing with MLB umpires. And, you know, I know you're not as much of a baseball guy as I am, but once you get tossed from a game, like – Going on YouTube and watching videos of old umpires getting tossed and the things they would do after it they, yeah. is some of the funniest content out there. Lou Pinella, who was a longtime manager for the Cubs and a few other organizations, uh, was is one of the best. He, <laughs> You get your money's worth. Once you're tossed, you have nothing to lose because they can't toss you for tomorrow. Yeah. Throw bases, and there is an old— Wait, throw bases? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Take the bases. You know how the bases rip up for yeah, safety yeah. reasons? Yeah. Take those out, toss them across the field. <laughs> my, my favorite one is, uh, you know, just the umpire before every pitch or whatever, whenever or between at bats and stuff, will step out and wipe home plate down so he can see that out of the bottom of his eyes as he's as he's watching the ball come across the plate. Called strikes and balls. My favorite just <laughs> petty move is when umps or when managers just kind of kick a little dirt on the plate, <laughs> just bury it. There is a video. I'll have to show this to you, Matthew. And I cannot remember the guy's name. But he was a minor league manager in the Braves organization, I believe. And he did like a 15-minute just <laughs> insane. Took every base, was throwing them out. He took one of them with him in the clubhouse. That is he hilarious. Army crawled. You know what the rosin bag is behind the pitcher's mound? It's that little just ball of like yeah, yeah. it dries your hands out. Yeah. You see pitchers grab it and toss it uh, up and down a few times. 
he army crawls out to the mound, grabs the rosin bag, like rips it in the mouth like he's pulling a pin out of a grenade and just army tosses it towards home plate. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is one of the best YouTube clips of all time. I can't believe you haven't seen that. But uh, that sounds like a midlife crisis, and it just all, like it oh, yeah, like it, you're it, doing it a whole show. Him. That is hilarious. It just got to him, and, and I mean, I wish in football it got a little more of that sometimes <laughs> when you get that pi. I would have loved to see Muschamp just take the the uh, the yard marker and try to stick it through that ref yesterday. I mean, just chase him around or something. That would have been great. But uh, anyway, and this is the next thing I want to just complain to the SEC about is um, you start in. November of 2018, but I guess their first tweet was sometime in July, maybe earlier this year. A Twitter account with a blue check mark called at SEC officiating. A, this was a dumb idea. You you know what you're getting when you started this. This is the most passionate fan base in the country, and we are now offering them a, a method of communication with them. Direct line. That, that, that was insane. You might as well give them your, your home and cell number. Because they're going to be blowing you up. This account, by all means, has been just absolute garbage. And the the only good thing about it has been the comments. Because nothing fun is happening on the account. They, the idea, I guess, was to explain calls and explain why they made calls. And I think what fans wanted to see from it, what I wanted to see from it, um, I don't want to project on anyone else, but I, I kind of get the feeling that this is what everyone else is thinking, is you want to see the SEC officiating crews, when they screw up, explain why they did it, and take credit for it, and you want to see those refs punished. Right. And I know those refs get punished sometimes. Uh, when you make a bad call, I actually sat in. I was at a Rotary Club meeting in high school my senior year. Uh, my interact club used to go to the Rotary Club meeting. We would send one or two students a month to go to the Rotary Club meeting um, in our little town, St. George, South Carolina, and sit out there and listen to whatever guests they had talked to. They just kind of talked with, with the people who owned businesses and were major leaders in the town. Um, and I was there for a meeting for a breakfast with, um, oh, man, I, I can't forget his, his last name is Wagers. He used to be a ref in the SEC. He was a head referee on a crew. And Penn Wagers, I believe that's his name. Um, look him up. Maybe I'm, wrong, maybe I'm wrong there, but I believe that's his name. But he was a head ref on a crew, and he explained a lot of very interesting things. And I like to hear from refs, too. You know, their, their story never gets told, um, which, is, which is tough. But... Yep, that's some Penn Wagers. Okay. Wagers, yeah. Yeah. He was explaining that his crew one call made a bad call and he knew it was a, a bad call as soon as they got off the field and he saw it again he said man we really screwed that one up and the next he said the next day the next morning that Sunday morning he got a call he was supposed to be covering the the biggest SEC game of the week I might have been Bama LSU um he was his crew was supposed to be at that game and those guys want those bigger games um I'm not sure that they pay more but you want to be on the biggest stage right and his crew got taken off of that game for their egregious call the night before. Uh, so refs do get punished a little, but I think this account was kind of to be able to explain the behind-the-scenes stuff of what happens when refs make bad calls. And we haven't seen that from at SEC officiating at all. But what I would love to see, if you're a fan of an SEC team, is go just find any tweet and give them your best complaint. 
um, because it's fun seeing them not respond or try to interact at all because <laughs> like a lot of other things in this world, they don't have um, or they don't seem to have a great sense of humor and can't make fun of themselves, which here's a perfect opportunity to do it. I'd love to go run this. I might, maybe I'll just call them tomorrow. Um, look, I'm the biggest fan in the world of this conference. I think every other conference sucks. And I don't mind screaming at any of your fan bases. I'll tell them they're all wrong and they can't see. You know, they throw blind pictures at, or bird box means with your refs up on here and at me. I'll at them with bird box pictures of them. So I'd love to run it. But be the ultimate troll. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I would. I would. I would just be I would just become a number one fan of the refs. So, and I would have just shoved it down South Carolina fans' throats yesterday when they were at an SEC officiating. I, that's, a, that's a dream job for me. It's just to troll people from, from like, an officiating account from the SEC. That would be great. But they, they don't have any fun with themselves. They're not – they don't explain anything well. Uh, their last tweet is last Saturday, October 15th, by rule in defense – which also coincidentally South Carolina game – by rule, when defensive holding occurs, the catchability of a pass is not a factor, unlike pass interference, provided the hold is against an eligible receiver and the pass crosses the line of scrimmage, the offensive team is awarded an automatic first down. That's a pretty good explanation of what was called on South Carolina in the fourth quarter um, when they held Georgia on fourth down and they would have got out of that play and then Georgia ends up scoring a touchdown, um, which would eventually lead the two teams to overtime. That's a great explanation of what happened. And they threw the video clip of the play in the, uh, on, the, on the tweet so fans can see what happened and be explained why it was called, or not necessarily why it was called, but what the rules are. And that, that a lot of times is needed because I don't know every rule. Um, but these officials, do, it is literally their job to know every single rule in their rule book. And that rule book gets a little bigger each year. But that's no excuse. When you're doing your job, you should know every single rule as an official and make every call correctly. And I know every call doesn't get called correctly. But when the basic things get called incorrectly and you have fans and media and fans of um, – I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure there are plenty of Florida fans who are like, yeah, that, that was probably – Yeah, holding. that probably was a call. You know, um, when, when those kinds of things are happening, you have people agreeing across the board – that you blew one of the easiest calls to make. I mean, I still can't believe, like like you were saying earlier, you know, a lot of the holding is on every play, and it just doesn't get called because it's in the trenches, and right. you can't see that. They they were all alone out in the middle of the field. When you have people agreeing on that kind of thing, and it's that blatant, like take some responsibility for it. And I'd like to see you a explain why. The, I would like to see that ref explain why he didn't did or didn't make that call. And and B, what his punishment is. Yeah. So next week he can be maybe relegate him from the SEC and have him go cover some crap ACC game, which is any of them. Um, so we'll kind of move on from South Carolina. Well, just just a disappointing week in general as general statements for the game. You had a chance to win this game, absolutely. Well, do you most, have something to say real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most definitely disappointing for the Gamecocks. Two things that I really want to hit it uh, really quickly. 
one bright note was that Tavian Feaster did rush with Rico Dowdle. He went out like the first play. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention. Yeah, Rico did. Rico went out really early. Yeah, he went out play. really early. And so uh, Tavian Feaster had to pick up the load. He went 25, had 25 carries for 175 yards and one touchdown. So a big day for him. I think these. Really had a big day, dude. This is the kind of stuff he transferred from Clemson for to take on this kind of role. Also, Mon Denson really came along well, too, uh, with a couple big runs. Dude, Mon played great last year. And I, the reason Mon's not doing the same is because Feaster's here this year with yep. Rico, and Mon has been a great asset for South Carolina, and he's proven to do so again now. So, and every uh, every time he steps in, he's he's good to go, dude. He's good. I'm surprised. Like, really, whenever Tavian, well, I guess it's great that he didn't, but whenever Tavian decided he was coming here, I know that Mon considered transferring, because now he kind of realized he was going to be the third string again. Just like, because he probably thought when Williams left, he probably thought he was the next guy up. But also, really quickly, about South Carolina, I'm hoping that right now they are, what, three? Three and four. Three and four. There are five games remaining. They need to be, I predict they beat uh, Tennessee. We'll see about Van. Well, Tennessee, we'll really see about all of Tennessee, Vandy, and App State, and that should get them to a bowl game. Do you think any? Do you think there are any chances? Yeah, I, they it? could lose to App State, for sure. Um, this team should not overlook Appalachian State. Uh, Appalachian State is, uh, how do I say it? How do I word this how I want to? Appalachian State is a more quality opponent than Vanderbilt is, and that feels weird to say. Yeah. But I think right now it's true. I mean, App State, they beat UNC. They're ranked. They're 21 South Carolina, Yeah. They're having a great year. Um, South Carolina, uh, excuse me, Appalachian State has historically had big upsets and been in big moments and have performed well. Um, and uh, that doesn't transfer every year. Uh, I do think, you know, every year is very different, drastically different in college football. You can't, something a team did two years ago, I don't think really affects what your team does this year. I don't think a lot of the guys in, in the club or in the locker room are thinking about those things either. Maybe it's a little motivation. But this Appalachian State team is very good, and South Carolina or South Carolina's fans think that they're going to walk over App State. And I don't think that, from what I've seen, the fans on Twitter kind of realize, hey, App State's a big game. Um, your schedule has gotten immensely tougher as the season has gone on and looking at it at the beginning I don't know how you could have thought it would have gotten any tougher uh, but it has because Florida's been a great team and so even though you had a chance plenty of chances to win that game you lost you lost to a really good opponent and now you instead of playing App State who's like oh yeah it'll be cool to play a play a Sun Belt Fun Belt <laughs> team um, in November oh crap like App State's good so yeah. that's not another like week we can just guarantee a win yeah so we'll see um and i i do still think this team can i don't think it'll happen um but they can beat clemson and they they played with florida for a lot in this game and they just shot themselves in the foot those kind of things can't happen against clemson you have to play a perfect game you have to play a full game on both sides of the ball um but i mean this team can compete we just saw them go to athens last week and beat georgia so they they're just kind of disappointing yeah you know um which is i mean just south carolina football in general from the beginning of time (laughs) other than three years there with with spurrier and even those years you had two losses each year that were just gut-wrenching right so two losses that could have cost you you know south carolina one of the best programs in the country for those three years two losses that could have cost you a shot reasonably at the sec or at the bcs championship yep you know they were playing and they played an sec championship game in 2010 that was a decade ago. It doesn't feel that long ago, but Sheesh. yeah. Um, so so there you go. And it's it's just I mean 
as far as general thoughts from the game, just disappointing. South Carolina is just disappointment team for them. So just shot themselves in the foot. Um, I did think the Florida would win. I didn't think South Carolina would lose like this. I thought Florida would just kind of be the better team. Yeah. Um, and I think for a lot of the game, Florida wasn't the better team. In the fourth quarter, they definitely were. Uh, but, I mean, there you go. I don't. Would, do you have any general thoughts on it? Nah, man, just, uh, I don't know. It was a tough game for the game. I did. I think I said 10 to, they would lose somewhere between 10 to 17, so I think I was right on track. Yeah, you, yeah, you were right there. And the spread was five, which still shocked me. I, I thought it, I don't, I was still thinking before the game, I was like, man, maybe throw a little cash down in Florida <laughs> by more than five. But I, I just, it's just disappointing week for South Carolina fans. Um, We'll go a little bit around the SEC real quick because uh, we're already at like 55 minutes, I think. Um, where are we at? 48. 48. So we're, we're running a little long. <laughs> That's what happens when I don't have my notes. <laughs> Auburn smacked Arkansas. That's what you want to see if you're an Auburn fan. Yep. You got a good team. Had a tough loss to Florida a few weeks ago. Go smack Arkansas because everybody else is doing it. Uh, San Jose State did it. You can do it. LSU told you. Easy money. Uh over Mississippi State, big time, no problems there. Oh, Joe Burrow got pantsed. Did you see that? Yeah, saw it. He said that was his Heisman moment. Yeah, I, I saw a few. I mean, I saw it probably ten times. <laughs> I didn't see it. Uh, someone showed it to me while I was watching a later game, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. Burrow got <laughs> pants. Perfect. Because Joe Burrow is going to have a lot of fun with that. So he's a guy who kind of make fun of himself. He's going to have a lot of fun with that this week. LSU is still just rolling. Um, having a lot of fun watching their games. The shocker of the week in the SEC, Vanderbilt on Missouri. Uh, I just spoke high- the two teams that I went out of my way to talk about really highly of Friday, um, which I stay- if we could go back in time to Friday, I'd still say those same things, lost. Uh, Missouri losing to Vandy. I mean, I know your season isn't going to – you're not going to have any postseason hopes, but you were having a great year. Yep. And you, you lost to Vandy. In Nashville, big big win for Vandy. So congrats to them. Once again, Coach goes, Mason. Yeah, once again goes to show don't take a week off in the SEC. You're right. You're you're absolutely right. Um, Georgia's trying to take the whole year off, I guess. <laughs> they what, what three quarters without scoring a point against Kentucky. They didn't give up a point, but Kentucky's also playing with like their tenth string running or quarterback. Um, they got a guy catching passes, throwing passes, and running balls for him. Uh, like his high Lynn, school, Lynn Bowen, Bowden, yeah. Bowden, um, and he's, I mean, phenomenal athlete. But Georgia does come away with a victory; just kind of wears him down at the end of the game. Uh, the lights, dude. The lights. We were watching that game. The lights are so awesome to see. The LEDs. Bama's got them too. Every Bama fan on Twitter is Georgia copied us. I don't want to hear it. You know, <laughs> we know you had it first, but generally that's how things work in the world. Um, some economies that have started after the U.S. and some countries, they they went with capitalism and democracy. I mean, someone taking your things is pretty good. It means it's good. So yeah. take it as the tip of the hat from Georgia and, and quit crying about it. A&M, uh, seven points on Missouri, or seven, one by seven at Ole Miss. I didn't watch any of that one uh, because there's nothing much worth watching there. I don't even have any thoughts on it. Do you? No. Tennessee? Surprising for the first, you know, quarter and a half against Alabama. Yeah. I, I sat down last night and watched that game, and I was like, wow. You know, they're hanging. This isn't going to last. But they're hanging on. Tua went out um, early, 
and which is tough. So we'll keep an eye on him. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard or seen anything yet. I think it's a high ankle sprain. I think they say two to three weeks. I want to know will he be back in time to uh, LSU for LSU? Yeah, that will be huge if he is not. Cocho is poking the voodoo doll <laughs> down in Baton Rouge. So. To his career is probably done. Also in that <laughs> game, you had <laughs> also in that game you had the uh, the quarterback try to dive over. You had Stephon Diggs' brother who ended up returning that. I guess you say fumble a hundred yards. That was nice uh-huh. to see. And uh, a lot of fans on Twitter, you know, it's in this soft culture. Jeremy Pruitt soft. grabbed. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt grabbed the quarterback's oh, face yeah, mask. Oh yeah, face mask. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, the fans. You should see Twitter. It, and then a lot of guys are like, "If y'all ever played football, a lot worse stuff happens than that." It's just oh like, yeah. And then, and then the, he kind of it was kind of weird how he did. He pulled him. He was like looking in the opposite direction. But, yeah. uh, Pruitt's just uh, yeah. I don't think probably don't do that during a game when just. That's you know how society is. Yeah, do that yeah. in practice. You, we all, all football people know what happens. So, and I don't, I don't really, I don't know the kid. Yeah, maybe he does take offense to it, but I think at this point, if you've made it to SEC football, that's probably happened to you plenty of times. So someone's getting in your grill, yelling at you. Um, and, but Tennessee did hang on for a little bit. So decent team there. But Alabama at the end of the day was smoking cigars in the locker room. Love that tradition. Did you know about that? Uh, I didn't know about that until like a year or two ago. I, f- I feel like I saw what's the linebacker that they had win the first round. Um, oh, I'm for not, the, probably twenty twenty five ers Forty ers I cannot remember. But did you? Uh, I saw him do it originally, and I was like, oh, okay, something there. Yeah, so that's the tradition after Bama, Tennessee, the third Saturday in October. Um, the victor smokes cigars in the locker room. So, which is kind of cool. I mean, I didn't know about that until a couple of years ago, like I said, and that's kind of a cool tradition. Yeah, it's pretty cool. They were breaking them out in the fans and uh, in the stands in the second or third quarter yesterday in Tuscaloosa, which at the time Tennessee was still only ten point, you know, ten points down. Um, the other, oh, what was what was Clemson's final score yesterday? Uh, Clemson's we're gonna get into a, the AP poll talk of the week here. As always, Let's see if I can. It's a forty to fifty nine to ten or something. Just they did smoke Louisville. Yeah, um, while we're looking for it, um, also there's one game that I meant to talk about. Oh, Clemson, there you go, forty five ten over Louisville. Forty five ten over Louisville. Um, Trevor Lawrence two interceptions. Yep. So I think he's up to eight on the year now. I'm gonna tell you what this reminds me a lot of Deshaun Watson. It's very different. But it's how many interceptions he had that reminds me of Deshaun Watson's twenty sixteen year whenever Clemson won the national championship. But he had like I think he had like sixteen interceptions that season. I don't know what's really been going on with Trevor. Although he did uh, he had a better day, twenty for twenty nine for two hundred thirty three yards, three touchdowns. That's yeah, still pretty accurate. Yeah. Um and I mean I guess twenty two for twenty nine is the way to spend that. He just threw two to the wrong team. <laughs> uh but yeah, Clemson does the re- the only reason I bring up their game this week because um, it wasn't interesting at all, which is if you're Clemson, that's how you want your games to be. Yep. Uh, frankly, you have a just a terrible schedule, so you want them to be very uninteresting, and you you want to blow every team out. And um, they've been a lot of them have been like that. A lot of them have been like, all right, well, at least I got some things to work on. The last couple weeks, though, they look like they're clicking. Uh, but the AP poll that just came out earlier. They're now they dropped another spot to fourth, um, so I think you're going to see them continue to fall as other teams rise. Um, and this is going to be a super homer pick, but I take a one loss Alabama or LSU over 
Clemson. Now that is going to be interesting. I heard somebody else talking about this earlier today. And about, I, they're about to find themselves in a Big 12 situation. I really, I, oh my God, if that happens, I cannot wait to hear what Davo says. I don't know if you can do it. Yeah, that's I, what I, I really was don't think you can. Um, and I'm not in favor, I've said this multiple times, of counting last year as anything towards this year. But when you haven't lost a game in two years and you yeah. go 12-0 again this, this year, they would be on a 27-game win streak. Um, and, and I just I don't know how you keep that team out. I don't think, especially with them winning a conference championship too, which is part of the criteria. Yeah, but uh, we'll see. I mean, because of Oklahoma and Ohio State remain undefeated, I would much rather see a one if that if that Bama LSU game is close and whatever team loses, especially if it's LSU, LSU loses by one point. I have an LSU team who's beat top two, Ooh. two top ten teams in the nation. Um, and they lost by one point to Alabama, and they just ran over the teams that they should have ran over. They went to Texas. They scheduled an out-of-conference strong opponent, went to Texas and beat them. And then they had, I mean, they're just, they've had too many good games. They, had, they beat Florida at home, um, and they're continually being tested. And now it took a little while in between Texas and Florida to, to be tested again, but Clemson hasn't been tested at all this year. You know, I don't. You can't count UNC as a test. Um, you count UNC as you screwed up, not as UNC is a good team. So, I, I mean, I just think that's what we're gonna see. I I really think if Oklahoma had, I think Oklahoma has a better track record right now than Clemson does. I mean, they beat Texas. Definitely. So, uh, so and you- they're blowing everybody else out. Oh, Texas, by the way, almost lost the Kansas. Miles, Kansas. Oh, they almost slipped up there. Texas, I mean, where did they, did they drop? No, they stayed at 15 in the in the AP poll. Um, they probably should drop. Oh, imagine Texas behind us and you in the polls. When's the last time that <laughs> It's It's been a while. So, I mean, it's been since, it's been 30 years since SMU's been in the polls. Number 16 now, 7-0. Uh, and oh. So. Oh, and uh, Florida State also did lose to Wake Forest. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I had to throw that in there. Michigan, I'm gonna give you just a couple other scores right there. Michigan beat Penn State. I mean, Michigan lost to Penn State. The final score of 28 to 21. She had one thing. I was watching the highlights of that game. The quarterback for Penn State on deep balls. I swear he throws the ball like 30, 40 yards in the air. Like it's it's not. Dude, he had great looking. We watched that game last night, and he had great looking passes. Yeah, they go like like the arc on those passes. I'm sure it, it almost appear a little bit more like a punt. It's like yeah. the ball goes in there, and I'm sure the receiver in a white state, white all white out stadium, the receiver's that like, was where awesome. is the football? You have to be loved to see it. Uh, there was a point I was, oh, back to about uh, Utah has lost one game, right? Yes. It would have been. If Utah, I don't know what it is about them beating Southern Cal, but they never can, seem to can do it, and it always pisses me off. But if they were able to beat Southern Cal, they potentially maybe go undefeated this year, depending on how things worked out. It would be really interesting to see that between them and a Clemson-type Dude, situation. This is this is getting... College football, for as kind of like lackadaisical weeks as we've seen this year, yeah, things are about to get so interesting. Yeah, and it all right now, I think, kind of revolves around Bama LSU, and Wisconsin going to Illinois and losing makes it a lot. It sucks. Yeah, because Wisconsin plays Ohio State here in a couple of weeks. Oh, they play them this next week, yep. right? Yeah, twelve o'clock. And now instead of two undefeateds. And the Big Twelve, the Big Ten being fine, Big Ten, and I think Ohio State's going to win anyway. Big Ten better be hoping Ohio State wins. Yeah. So, are you going to find yourself in a, a very tough situation? Now, I do think if you have 
say they don't even play each other this at all this year. I think one loss Ohio State gets in over one loss Wisconsin just because they're Ohio State, which is unfortunate because that's the way that the committee has kind of proven itself is to me anyway. They kind of pick the teams that they want in, um, and uh, I just don't see it all where they've looked proven to really look at records yeah and, and go through every game and figure out which losses are bad and which losses are inexcusable and all of them you know are bad there's no good losses um which brings me to you know i was saying looking at the ap poll before the show bad losses well how is notre dame two spots above georgia <laughs> here's a team both of them are one loss teams I get Notre Dame's losses to Georgia, or I get Notre Dame's losses to a top ten team, a top five team, top three team. But that three lost, or that number three team, is Georgia, who lost to South Carolina. So I, that one doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I think that's a lot of the stuff uh, we see. What are we at? All right. Um, and sorry, yeah, that's the kind of thing that we see that we see the committee do. And Georgia is like Georgia's a better team than Notre Dame. They proved it on the football field. So how do you take that away from them? And Auburn's all right. Notre Dame, I can't go down the Notre Dame. <laughs> but there you go. And, and we've still got the Big Ten. Still has some interesting teams, dude. So Michigan lost to Penn State. Penn State is now number six. Um, you have one. You have six undefeated teams who legitimately could win the national title. Bama, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Penn State. I could see Penn State probably the least, but I could definitely see the first five teams of those, Bama, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, all winning the national championship. Um, And I think Penn State will fall somewhere this year, uh, probably to Ohio State. Yeah, But they did beat Michigan, and now we can kind of put Michigan to rest. Uh, they're, they fell to number 19. Um, they're one spot above Iowa, who really should have beaten them. But that's kind of, like, you're the Big Ten, you're hanging your hat on Ohio State right now because you were praying they get through Wisconsin unscathed, and then they play Penn State later. Who on the will 23rd of November. Ba- basically decide who goes to the Big Ten championship from that side, as long as both of those teams stay undefeated. Um or even if they don't, if one of them loses one game, you know, whoever wins that game will have the tiebreaker. Uh, so that's going to decide who we see out of the Big Ten East. And remember when they did Legends and Leaders? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember those Terrible. names. <laughs> um, what what were they thinking? But it's a, it's like the ACC. No one rips the ACC enough for having Atlantic and Coastal. It should just be North and South in, yeah. in the ACC. Um, and then you kind of split it somewhere in North Carolina. But... You have like you you were getting interesting football in the Big Ten there. Um, it gets a little worse with Wisconsin's loss, but to just show you, the Big Ten does have some teams towards the bottom who can make things interesting. And Illinois has done that in in years past. Um, Bama LSU is gonna clear things up a little bit for us a little in a couple weeks, or it can make things really fuzzy for us. Like I said, what if LSU loses by one point? Um, what if Bama loses by one point? You think the committee is gonna keep Bama out of the college football playoff? No way. That would be crazy. That's what I'm going to root for because I want four SEC teams in the college football playoff because I think Bama, LSU, Georgia, up until they played South Carolina and Florida, would be better than any other teams outside of Ohio State in 
You know, yeah. I don't like to see them in over anyone else because Oklahoma has proven time and time again. Let's, let's not let them off the hook. I really love that team, but they've proven time and time again they can't win a big one. So, um, and they haven't since Stoops won a national championship. I don't even know when that. Sheesh, it's been that remember. long. Was Bradford the quarterback back then? Or? No, they lost to Tim Tebow, my guy. Yeah, uh, the greatest college football player of all time, the greatest human being to ever walk the face of the earth. Um, Sharita's book. Uh, yeah. Oh, I read. I haven't read Relentless. Is that the new one? Uh, whatever. It's a one-word title, but I've read his autobiography, gotcha. which is really good. Um, and then, I mean, things are about to get super interesting. All right, we're running out of time. I know we're like over an hour right now. Um, is there anything else you did? You go to a high school game? You didn't go. No, to high I didn't. Game. I didn't end up making it out there. I'm pretty sure Dutch Fork. Let me look that up for you. I'm pretty sure Dutch Fork remains undefeated. Dutch Fork never loses. Uh, <laughs> for what it's worth, uh, let's see here. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Dutch Fork wins that game. I didn't even I didn't check out the Camden. Dutch Fork is ranked number two in the state, though. So one of our South Carolina powerhouse programs. There you go. So they'll be probably playing in Williams Bryce here in a few weeks. Yep. Um, and which will actually I might try to go to this year. I, I haven't been to one, but I mean that would be fun. It's right down the street, so might as well go. Um, we have. Oh, World Series matchup is set. Astros just crush Jose Altuve, crushing every heart. And the Yankee, I mean, I can't even say in New York because their Yankees fans are just everywhere. Um, you can't get away from them. But this is the, as much as I hate the Yankees, the fact that this is the first decade, 2010 to now, that they will have never won a World Series in is absurd. But it also tells you how far the Yankees have fallen um, from. I mean, winning at least one World Series a decade is just asinine. But uh, we got the Astros. Altuve had a walk-off home run last night after the Yankees tied it up in the top of the ninth. Um, of course, I went to bed right after the Yankees tied it. I couldn't, I couldn't stay up anymore, so I missed the walk-off. Well, my phone did go off, and I saw it. Um, so Nats, Astros, that starts Tuesday in Houston at 8. Got some good pitching matchups. It'll be interesting to see how the Nationals pitchers hold up against... Um, a star-studded rotation for the Astros. So we'll have Scherzer versus Verlander, I think. Um, I haven't seen the probables yet. And, and you got Strasburg and Garrett Cole. I'd imagine it'll be those guys squaring off. Um, and you've got some good secondary starters, too. I mean, the Astros have any starter of theirs could start pretty much anywhere and be close to an ace. Um, that'll be a fun series. I think the Astros will win in five games. Um, I just don't see that being... That that interesting, but I would love it for I would love for it to go seven. Um, baseball is wrapping up this year, and I didn't get to watch as much as this year as I normally have in years past. But it always sucks when baseball leaves you for four months. I mean, we pretty much get baseball year round, but when it when it's gone from when you go from watching like literally every day during the summer, you can watch like eight straight hours of, of baseball. It is like NFL Sunday, but it's every day. <laughs> so. And we are, what, a week away from being, a week, two weeks away from having football every single day of the week. Here we go. Uh, so I'm going to start the football week on Thursday. Thursday you got, there's always a college game on. You got, there's an football in the NFL. Friday night, Pac-12 or someone out west is playing. Saturday you got all day of college football. Sunday you got a full day of NFL. Monday you got Monday night football. Tuesday, this is what's coming back. Tuesday night action. The MAC Conference, which is always hysterical games. And then Wednesday night, Fun Belt. So, all seven days, getting ready for that. I've been watching a little Fun Belt the last couple of weeks. I've watched a little bit of games. Um, 
it'll be cool to keep watching those and we will see what happens do you have anything else I know oh, we're running long. We gotta yeah, get out of here. Just real quick, <laughs> just real quick. You have the Ravens uh, Mark with Marcus Peters. It just went there. He had a pick six today, so that's big for him. And with the Rams, I think what was J- that final score of the the Ravens. Oh, uh, the Ravens thirty sixteen. Okay. And then you have the Rams. Jalen Ramsey did play, so his mysteriously his back injury. The L.A. Ramsey's did suffice, and uh, they beat the Falcons. I don't know what the devil's happened to the Falcons. They beat them thirty seven to ten. Yep. All right. So Falcons just doing Falcon things. Yep. Um, we will be. We got a guest on Thursday, right? Yep. We'll have yeah. a guest. Yeah. Our, we'll have a guest on Thursday. What's his name? Ian, NFR, NFL, somewhat uh, analyst that we're bringing in, but we are not paying him. So. So yeah, he's, <laughs> he's not getting paid. We got to get paid first. Um, maybe we'll ask him for a donation to yep. to the pod. Speaking of, go <laughs> subscribe, rate, review. Um, find us on Twitter. Uh, mine is. Or the shows is at the lead underscore block. Mine is at Tyler Walter CNR. Matthews is at Matt the Chosen One with the number one. Numero. Same on Instagram for Matthew and the show at the lead underscore block. Um, my Venmo's open. If you want to hit me in the DMs <laughs> on Twitter, DM me for the show. That'd be great. We could use these mics are pretty nice, but we could use a nice solid setup. Uh, maybe Venmo producer Brendan for that one. I'll take anything I can get. <laughs> there you go. Um, Go rate, subscribe, review, tell your friends, follow the show on all the social medias we just listed. Uh, go, you know, write us on a piece of paper and just stick them on windshields and parking lots if you got to. Uh, tell your mom, tell your dad. It's good. We're having a lot of fun doing this. Um, I love doing it. It's solid, just hour plus of football twice a week. I need that. Um, <laughs> Matthew, Matthew needs it too. Yeah. And. We would like to remind you that this has been a production of Garnet Media. And as always, we would like to say a special thank you to Ben Sound for our intro and outro music for the show. Um, we will be back Thursday with a guest. Uh, Matthew, any last words? Nah, man. Um, disappointing this week. Yeah. Just, just a lot of disappointment in college football. Wisconsin, Missouri, South Carolina, just full of disappointment. That's football. Yeah. And we will see you Thursday. Peace.